The following audio is from Hope Hill Church. To learn more about Hope Hill Church, please visit hopehillchurch.org. About a month ago, we started this series, this journey through the book of John. Encouragement is that if you uh, are going to be continuing with us, and my hope is that you will be continuing with us, that you would go on Amazon.com and buy this little black journal. Uh, What's really cool about this journal is every other page is the book of John that we're going to be studying, and every other page is blank for you to take notes on as you follow along in our teaching. And uh, you can get this for about three or four bucks on Amazon. Uh, You can go on right now and order it, and next day Prime might be here tomorrow. So there you go. Uh, John chapter 1, we're going to be going through the 21 chapters of John together as a church over the next year. And today we're beginning uh, part three, or is it four, uh, in John chapter 1, verse 19 and following. As you're turning there, I want to tell you about a, a, a encounter I had experienced a few years ago. I was doing a wedding, and I showed up the day before for a rehearsal dinner. Showed up, um, you know, try to be prompt, sometimes early if possible. Uh, I arrived in Lynchburg for this wedding. And one of the first people I met happened to be a brother-in-law. He was there, and he was holding a video camera. And so at first, I just thought he might just be, you know, the videographer or something. And I struck up a conversation and came to discover that he was, in fact, the brother-in-law. And um, we chatted for a while while all the guests arrived and had a good time that night. Uh, I I introduced myself as the pastor and learned that he... uh, He grew up in church and that he did a lot of video production and made videos for uh, his church and other churches. So I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, We love using video from time to time. I thought maybe I'll be able to get some good videos from this guy. And so the conversation continued and then wound up. And the next day we showed up uh, to prepare for uh, the wedding festivities. We had some time, so a few of us decided to go and freshen up. and, And this guy I just met, his name was Julian, we went and grabbed Um, some chicken wings at Buffalo Wild Wings in Lynchburg. So we sit down, and our server comes up, takes our order, and about five minutes later, somebody comes to our table and says, I'm sorry to interrupt, and then looks at my new friend and says, do you mind if I take your picture? I thought that was a little odd, Um, but it happened quick. The guy uh, politely smiled, and the girl took his picture and went on her way. About five minutes later into our conversation, Two more people came to the table and said, excuse me, we're sorry to interrupt, but do you mind if we take a picture with you? And they hand me the camera, and I'm now taking a picture of my new friend and a couple of his uh, uh, friends. And um, so we're sitting there, and I'm, I'm just scratching my head wondering, who, who am I sitting with? This is kind of different, kind of weird. And... Um, Before long, our food comes, and the waitress there serves us, and the manager comes up, and the manager comes up and apologetically says, I see you've been interrupted a couple times. We're going to comp the meal. Um, I hope hope you uh, will accept our apology. And I'm like, this is so strange. Um, This just doesn't make sense. And then the next words that happened shocked me even more. The manager said, I would just like to ask, though, before you leave, can you take a picture with all our staff? I left that lunch having no clue what had just happened. I went to River Ridge Mall there in Lynchburg, and I'm like, this was weird, Twilight Zone-type stuff, and I'm going on about my day. 
and visiting. I had an hour or two to kill, so I stopped by uh, a store that sells, I don't know if you guys know, I like to collect Star Wars stuff. So I go into the store, uh, Hot Topic, uh, and they have, you know, Star Wars stuff. And then I'm looking at the T-shirts, and next to the Star Wars T-shirts, I see a T-shirt with the face of the guy I just had lunch with. And I looked to the shop owner, and I said, who's that guy? And she was like, oh, he's Julian Smith. Everybody knows him, except for you. You guys don't know how anybody out there know Julian Smith? Three of you. Okay. Um, yeah, that kind of fell flat. That didn't really go where I was hoping it would go. Just Google Jillian Smith, and you will. he's got like billions and billions of subscribers on YouTube. He is one of those YouTube-type movie makers. So anyway, I didn't know this guy. And today we're going to see a story of some people who didn't know a guy. And sometimes it's really important to know the people you have around you. Uh, and we're also going to see that many times knowing who we're around tells us who we are or who we aren't. And so today I want to introduce you again to a guy. His name is John, not to be mistaken with the guy talking or the guy who wrote the book. This is a third John, okay? This guy was named John the Baptizer, John the Baptist, but he did not start the Baptist movement, okay? Uh, just hope there's no confusion there. The Southern Baptist Convention did not start with John the Baptist. So John was, who was John? John was a very special guy. Uh, first of all, he had a very special birth. Uh, Jesus, of course, was conceived uh, by the Virgin Mary, by the power of the Holy Spirit. But in a very miraculous way, similarly, John, the cousin of Jesus, six months older than Jesus himself, uh, was born to a set of parents, Zachariah and Elizabeth, who were barren for ages. But God prepared them by, by the miracle of the Holy Spirit, helping this couple conceive. And from even birth, John was full of the Holy Spirit. And John was set apart for a purpose to pave the way for his cousin, even though he did not know his cousin was the Messiah. I'm sure there were weird things growing up, ways that Jesus always found a way to win all games and never be surprised or fooled. Um, but John, clearly we see in Scripture, supernaturally has his eyes open at about the age of 30 or so when he sees his cousin through a new way, with new eyes, and sees him as the Messiah, the Christ, the one who would come to save all mankind. This man, John, uh, we don't know much about him after his birth, uh, but we do know that at some point, he pulled away from society and went out and lived in the wilderness. Now, the wilderness area where we're going to see John today is, is quite a ways away from the main hustle and bustle of Jerusalem. He's down near the Jordan River, which is uh, near the Dead Sea, the lowest point on planet Earth. And... The travel from Jerusalem to this Jordan River area, a town near Bethany near the Jordan, was quite a hike. And most people did not just come and go carefully or often. Uh, they, they, I mean, easily or often. It would take a trip and some planning. And yet crowds were going out to meet him and to see him. There was something interesting about him. John was the last 
Old Testament prophet. For 400 years, the people of God had not heard from God. The primary way that God had spoke to the people of God was through individuals called prophets. And the Old Testament, the last prophet to speak was a man named Malachi, 400 years earlier than the day we're talking about today. And so they had been sitting in silence, waiting for the coming of a promised Messiah, wondering when he would ever come. The Jews were under Roman rule. They were captives, and yet the Romans would let them live and go about their way of life, yet they would tax them, and they were still under Roman rule. So the the Jewish people were waiting for freedom. They were waiting for salvation in a way that they thought it should come. They wanted a mighty ruler, a king, to come and set them free and to lead them into a victorious life. And so this man John was preaching. He was the last Old Testament prophet and the first New Testament preacher. And he was preaching for us to get our lives right. Repent. Prepare your hearts for the Lord. He is coming. And he wasn't just a crazy, although he was kind of crazy, uh, wearing camel hair and eating wild grasshoppers and honey, the first kind of paleo type of diet that you see in the Bible. And, um, and yet crowds were drawn to him. The religious leaders of the day were puzzled. You know, if he was just some religious fanatic, he could easily be ignored. But people were traveling from villages and villages and towns and towns and miles and miles and days and days coming to hear this man speak. And so they curious of finding out who this man was, they were drawn to see him. As they went out, they approached him and they found him. Look at verse 19 following. This is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? That's the question this morning that I want to ask all of us. Who are you? Do you know who you are? The Levites and the priests were trying to figure out who John was. And so they came to him and asked him, and they're going to ask him five questions in this conversation today, four of which are about his identity. And the last is, why is he doing what he's doing? The first question they ask is simple. Who are you? And you would think that he might answer, you know, my name's John. But he doesn't. In answering them, the first thing he says to them is who he is not. Because he's been called by God, to prepare the people of God, I'm sure to some degree he knows the ability and the power that he could easily wield on his own. He could easily, he's got thousands and thousands of people traveling to see him, hearing him preach, coming and being baptized by him as he is telling them, get your lives right, the Messiah is coming, prepare your ways for the coming of the Lord. And so they come to him and ask him, so who? are you? His answer follows. Verse 20. He confessed and did not deny, but he confessed. I am not the Christ. Right away, they were waiting for the Christ. Christ is not Jesus' last name. Christ is a title. It's also translated Messiah, the one who would come and save the people from their sins. And right away from the beginning, John in humility does not say, you know, I'm the latest and greatest, you should follow me. He says, and all of his answers we're about to see, it's not about me. It's it's not about who I am, it's not about my background, it's not about my purpose. 
I'm not the Christ. I'm not the Messiah. And today we need to hear, for those of us who consider ourselves Christians, for those of us who consider ourselves saved and a part of the family of God, I know this really doesn't need to be said, but we need to realize that we are not the Christ. We are not the answer to people's problems. As we might try here and there with our free sales and conferences and our back-to-school drives, these things are simply vehicles that we can use to point people to the one who is the Christ. Everything we should do is about us decreasing like John so that he, the Lord, might increase. We let our light shine before men so that they would see our good deeds and not praise us, but come to know and glorify our Savior in heaven. And so John's response to them immediately is, I'm not the Christ. In one of the commentaries I was reading preparing for today's study, I came upon this reading referring back to C.S. Lewis's uh, book, The uh, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Anybody out there heard of that one? It's a good book. In The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, we're first introduced to a few children. These four children would enter into the world of Narnia that was once beautiful, but discover that it has grown dark and cold. They come in through a magical wardrobe to a snow-covered forest in Narnia, where they learn that it's been winter for over a hundred years. Evil is reigning. Hope is dead. But with the arrival of these children, things begin to change. The inhabitants of Narnia slowly begin to hope again. An ancient Narnian prophecy said that before the deliverance would come to Narnia, two sons of Adam and two daughters of Eve would appear. These children were messengers of hope. But the hope of the citizens of Narnia are not found in the children. Their hopes are in someone else, a lion named Aslan. The children hear an old Narnian rhyme, wrong will be right when Aslan comes in sight. At the sound of his roar, sorrows will be no more. When he bares his teeth, winter meets its death. And when he shakes his mane, we shall have spring again. These children brought hope, not in themselves, but in the one who would follow their coming and bring deliverance. In John chapter 1, in the passage we just read, we meet a man who brought a message of hope, hope not found in himself, but in someone else. John the Baptist points us to the one who will fulfill our greatest hope and satisfy our deepest longings. John said, I am not the Christ. And everything he says, I want to point you to who Jesus is. His answer, his first answer is, I'm not the Christ. And so they press on, verse 21, and they say, so then, are you Elijah? And he said, I'm not. This was kind of puzzling. Elijah had been dead for ages, or gone for ages. Elijah uh, carried up in a chariot of fire. Right? No. That was Elijah. Sorry. This guy Elijah, though, was a prophet. And he had 
very similarly, like John the Baptist, was calling people to repentance. And so at the end of the Old Testament, in Malachi chapter 4, verse 5, we hear the prophets say that God is telling them, actually, let me just read it for you. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet. Before the great and awesome day of the Lord, I will send you Elijah. And so these religious elite, these priests and Levites sent by the Pharisees come to John and say, are you the promised one? Are you Elijah? And John answers, no, I'm not. You know, what's interesting about this is I I don't know where John was speaking from. I don't know if he was literally just answering, no, my name is John. It's not Elijah. Because Jesus himself in the book of Matthew chapter 17 is telling the listeners at that in that audience that Elijah has come and you missed him, referring to John the Baptist. And so John the Baptist, in the spirit of Elijah, comes declaring to those in the wilderness, those who do not yet know the Messiah, it's time. It's time to get your hearts right. I'm not the Christ and I'm not Elijah. But like the prophet Elijah, I come. Uh, They're even comparatively described uh, in Matthew. John is described as being wearing camel's hair and a leather belt. The same thing is said of Elijah in the Old Testament. A hairy man who wears a leather belt. They must shop at the same vendor. So we have the second question, are you Elijah? The third question comes after he says, I am not. The third question they ask, then are you the prophet. They didn't say, are you a prophet? They have heard of many prophets that have come. But they want to know if he is the prophet. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, we see a prophecy that God would send one day a prophet from among the people who would lead them to deliverance. The prophet, the Messiah, the one promised from ages before. Are you the Christ? No. Actually, John doesn't even let them ask. He just right away. You ask me, let me first start off by telling you, I am not the Christ. Are you Elijah? No. Are you the prophet? I am not. Well, then who the heck are you is actually the way the Greek writes the next words. They are like, what is going on here? We've been sent. There are important people who have sent us to ask you. We need an answer to tell them. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you have to say about yourself? In verse 23, he gives finally the answer about who he is. He's not the Christ. He's not Elijah. He's not the prophet. So who are you? He's about to quote another prophet by the name of Isaiah. In chapter 40, he says these words. I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, just as the prophet Isaiah said. 700 years plus before Jesus died, there were prophecies, many in the book of Isaiah, about Jesus. But there was even prophecies about this man, John the Baptist, a voice crying out in the wilderness. John says, that voice, that's me. I'm that voice, and I'm here to tell you, prepare the way. Make straight 
past. If you look at Isaiah chapter 40, you see that the nation of Israel has just come out of captivity. They've been set free from Babylon. They're now being led into the promised uh, blessings of God. And God declares that there will be comfort, there will be deliverance. And to get prepared for this, a voice crying out in the wilderness, the king is coming. Make low the high mountains and rise the valleys. Make level the path, for the Lord is coming. And here, that's what John's mission was. He was uh, like in old days, as a king would prepare with his entourage for a journey, they would send out scouts to make sure they picked the safe way and the right way, and they would send out sometimes excavation crews to clear forests or to bridge creeks or to sometimes lower hills or raised valleys to make it safe for the king to come. In the same way, John is speaking in the wilderness, not only the literal wilderness, but in the wilderness that existed spiritually, in the dry hearts of those who were listening, waiting for the comfort. Prepare your hearts. Prepare your lives. Jesus is coming. I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, he said. Make straight the way of the Lord. Verse 24. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. So they asked him, Well, then why are you baptizing? If you're neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet, why are you baptizing? Baptism was uh, a cultural thing used in Jewish society. There would be many who from different cultures would come to faith in the God of the Jews. Uh, We have a story of the Ethiopian eunuch who traveled up to Jerusalem and overheard and even had somehow the wealth enough to have his own copy of the scroll of Isaiah. And we have a story where once converted and putting his faith in the God of the Bible, he was then baptized. In the same way, Jewish teachers, rabbis, uh, different Pharisees, when they would get disciples of their own in order to publicly show that somebody had crossed from one way of living to another, they would be baptized. A symbol of initiation, a symbol of identifying with the one they were now following. In the same way, John was preaching a baptism of repentance. You can read about this in Acts, the later chapters. When people are found to be disciples of John and and they're asked by the apostles, had you heard of baptism? Yeah, we heard of the baptism of repentance. John baptized us. Well, have you ever been baptized in the name of Jesus? And they had not yet. And so this baptism was a, a cultural thing done by religious leaders. And so these religious leaders are asking John, if you're not the Christ, if you're not Elijah, if you're not the prophet, then who are you and why are you baptizing? He doesn't defend himself. He doesn't list all the right reasons why he has the right to do this. I mean, many of us in that position would would boldly proclaim why we had the right to be there. I mean, look at the long list of what John could have said. Do you know who you're asking me who I am? I'm the son who was born of a miracle of two parents who were barren. I was filled with the Holy Spirit from being in the womb. I'm the cousin of Jesus, the Messiah. And the list could have gone on and on, but he doesn't ever talk about who he is 
again, he just points to Jesus. In his answer about baptism, he does the same thing. Look at this. John answered them, verse 26. I baptize with water. But among you stands one you do not know. These are some of the coldest words in all of Scripture. To be aware that the God, the creator of the universe, is standing among us and we don't know him. We read a week or two ago that Jesus, the maker of all things, came to his own and his own didn't recognize him or his own rejected him. They received him not. And John is telling them plainly, the reason I'm baptizing is because there is one among you who you do not yet know. And what's crazy is he doesn't even yet know. John doesn't know that it's Jesus, his cousin, who is the one that he is preparing the way for. And he is looking to them and telling them, there is one here in the midst of this wilderness, in the midst of you, who you don't yet know me. I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not even worthy to untie. So here's what John says. Instead of uh, walking proudly, he, in his humility, continues, and he says, it isn't about me. It's about the one who's coming. It's about the Messiah, and I'm not even worthy enough to untie his shoes. Culturally, Culturally, you know what I'm trying to say. Back then in those times, shoes were important, right? And most people wore sandals. And at the end of a long day of walking around of the streets back then, the, the main form of transportation was probably a donkey or a camel, and there was a lot of sheep and livestock, and there was a lot of stuff put out by them. Vehicle emissions. And you'd walk around in your streets, in the streets, the dirty, the dust, the the things that were all over the place, everywhere. And as they would walk around, at the end of the day, they would come home, and not only do you have stinky, smelly feet, but you've got everything else you've picked up as you've walked around. And so the lowest job of all the household servants was to meet you at the front door, and to undo your shoes and to wash your feet. And here John is saying, I'm not even worthy enough to have that job when it comes to this person. I am not even worthy enough to wash his feet. John, being humble, fulfilling his mission, does everything he can to point those in the wilderness to Jesus. And that is our mission as a church. Sure, we live in a very developed society. We've got amazing school buildings. We've got huge malls that people travel hours uh, and hours to come and visit. We've got um, developed neighborhoods. But it doesn't take much 
realize the spiritual wilderness that we live in. A brokenness. A place where people often feel hopeless. Feel lost. Feel without. And like John, a voice in the wilderness, we are called to be a voice in this wilderness. A voice not pointing people to see how great we are or how great our programs are that we do as a church. But we come to point people to Jesus. Who are you? Why are you here? I hope above all that you would know, first of all, a Savior who loves you, who died and gave his life for you, And if you've never believed in him and received him, then the scriptures say it's so simple. If you want to receive the love and forgiveness of God, all you have to do is believe in him with your heart and confess with your mouth that you want him as Lord. There is nobody too far from God. There is nothing you could have ever done that that disqualifies you from receiving his love and his forgiveness. Today, you can become a child of God simply by putting your belief in him and calling out to him as Lord. And for those of us who have already done that, our mission is the same as John's, the testimony of John, the testimony of the joiners, the testimony of the turners, the testimony of David Young, the testimony of everybody sitting in this room. Are we doing that in the way we eat, play, study, sleep, shop? Are we doing that in the way that we live and love our neighbors? Are we doing that in the way that we go to school and the jobs that we have? Do our lives point others to Jesus? Check out this video. This is Nate. Nate became a Christ follower two weeks ago and is still a bit giddy about it, though he's trying not to do cartwheels in public. Nate became a believer partly because of Kim. Yet, oddly enough, Kim and Nate have never met. How is this possible? Well, let's take a look. Kim loved Jesus from an early age, and in college she had a huge impact on her friends. While most of her peers used their college years to, well, experiment, Kim didn't. She remained committed to her faith, and it showed. It especially showed to Lisa, her roommate, who confessed to Kim that she wanted whatever it was that made Kim so strong. Kim shared her faith with Lisa, and Lisa believed. Years later, at Lisa's first real job, she met Thomas. Thomas was hit by a drunk driver when he was 13 and still carried a lot of anger and bitterness. Thomas and Lisa became friends, and it wasn't long before he started going to church with Lisa and her husband. After a lot of studying and searching, Thomas gave his life to Christ. Fast forward a few years. Thomas became a public speaker and was often asked to speak at large events. See, when he became a believer, Thomas developed a new perspective on life. He stopped resenting what had been taken from him and started being thankful for the second chance he had been given. On one particular day, Thomas shared about overcoming hardship and what it means to choose joy. He was so passionate that a number of people were inspired to share a link to his video. 
The video of Thomas inspired James, too. And if anyone needed inspiration, it was him. James had a ton of issues. He spent most of his life as a passive husband, an absent father, and a horrible friend. That said, no one disliked him more than he disliked himself. But everything changed the night he happened to watch Thomas online. Something clicked, and he knew what he had to do. He surrendered his miserable life to someone greater, and he was forever changed. James fought hard to make up for the lost years with his family. And he also began working with young men who were in danger of throwing their lives away. One of those men was Nate. Nate didn't really know his own dad, and he had no real direction in life, ultimately bouncing from one bad decision to another. Because of that, he often found himself in trouble with the law. No one had ever showed him what it looked like to be a real man. That is, until he met James. James became the first father figure Nate ever had. He learned about honesty, self-control, humility, and integrity, and where those traits come from. Two months later, Nate publicly declared his belief in Christ. And of course, James was there. Now you can see the connection. Nate was impacted by James. He was influenced by Thomas. Thomas on Uncommon Joy and Lisa, who learned of Jesus from Kim. Kim's relationship with God eventually led to Nate's. Funny how these two people have never met will. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, and now has given us, you and I sitting in this room, given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the whole world to himself, not counting their sins and trespasses against them, and entrusting to us this message of reconciliation. Therefore, we here together are ambassadors for Jesus Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made himself to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Father God, I pray for each and every person in this room. I pray first for those who may not know you as Savior and Lord, yet at this time. If you're here this morning and you want to put your faith and trust and belief in Jesus, and you want to call out to him as Lord, it's as simple as you admitting it, you believing, and you calling out to him as Lord. If that's your heart, raise your hand now as I pray. If you want Jesus as your Lord, raise your hand now. Father God, I pray for those in this room who maybe up to this point have never realized they the true need of you in their life. And I pray that you would come, that you would fill them with the wholeness and fullness of your Holy Spirit, that you would forgive them of their sins, that you would heal their wounds and help them to follow you. Father God, the next group I pray for are those of us in this room who know you as Savior and Lord and are called to be your ambassadors, to be those who have the ministry of reconciliation given to us. Help us to embrace that mission And like John, 
Help us to see that we are in a wilderness and we are called to be a voice of hope, pointing others to you. Father God, I pray for each and every person in this room that we who believe in you would embrace that call. If you're here this morning and you would say, John, I need to embrace that. I need to fulfill that more in my life and surrender to that call to be the true voice that God calls me to be in every area, in every sphere of influence. John, I need prayer that God would help me to be the witness that he wants me to be. Would you raise your hand as I pray? Raise your hand up all over the room. If you know you need God's help to help you be the witness that he wants you to be. Father God, I pray for those who are calling out to you right now. God, I myself, help me to realize that there there is no time of day that is not given to me by you. There is no time or place where I go where you are not working. There is no person in this world that you did not create, that you do not love, and that you do not want to reach. So help me, God, to be used to share your love with those who do not yet know it and to reach those who do not yet know you. I pray that prayer for each person in this room. Help us to embrace our mission to serve and lead others to you. In your name, Jesus.